Welcome back, everyone. Uh, this is Didactic Mind, episode 58, Operation Mind Crime. Uh, as always, a very warm welcome to all of my loyal listeners, all of my loyal subscribers, all of my loyal readers. Uh, if you have not subscribed already, please make sure you hit the subscribe button here on Podbean uh, or on my site. Uh, make sure you subscribe to my email list so that you never ever miss a new podcast or post or upload of any kind. And uh, make sure that um, if you are subscribed, uh, keep your eye out uh, in your email inbox for various updates and uh, news posts and uh, uh, special emails. I haven't sent one out in a while, actually, and I need to get back on on top of doing that. Uh, I've just been crazy busy with some stuff. Um, I do have a couple of announcements and shout-outs to make. Uh, Announcement number one is that uh, after uh, two and a half years of um, basically failing at everything, uh, more or less, I will finally be getting out of where I am in the old country, and we'll be going back to the West uh, in the next few weeks, in fact. It should be right before the end of the year, Uh, maybe a couple of days into the new year, we'll see, it depends on flight schedules and timings and such. But um, I am going back to the West to take up a course of study. And uh, after that, I hope to get a job out there and kind of put some roots down because it's well past time that I did. Sick and tired of living out of suitcases, and, uh, which I have been for way too long. Um, it's easier than you think to do that, by the way. It's not, it's not fun, but it can be done. Um, some of you are more familiar with it than others, but... I basically had all of my stuff in storage almost for two and a half years and I've been working off of my laptop and um, you know phone and tablet for all of that entire time my my trusty Lenovo um, ThinkPad T470P which I love um, I it's as reliable and dependable as my own right arm and um, you know I've been using Linux on it for that entire time I've been I'm running Linux Mint 20 right now on this thing and uh, it's phenomenal I mean I I've, um, everything I need is right here on this laptop so um, but that is the big news I, I will be going back and I will be getting very busy very soon so I expect the frequency and length of posts to drop somewhat um, but I do expect to continue um, posting the epic great Monday Dact browser busters. Um, my good friend, our good friend, Dawn Pine, uh, also known as the Male Brain, who lives in southern Israel, is of enormous help in this regard, and I really uh, sincerely thank him for that. Um, he is, he's got a guest post coming up, actually. Uh, I will be posting uh, another one of his excellent short posts on Tuesday, probably. Which saves me uh, the time and trouble of having to write something myself, which is rather nice. Um, but all of that is coming up, and uh, Dawn is, um, you know, extremely valuable contributor to my site. Um, has been a tremendous help in putting together lots of really cool content for these uh, great uh, Monday Dact browser killers, and they really are browser killers. Um, I think Mr. Univac, it was either Mr. Univac or Lynch, one of my longtime readers, who said that uh, he actually used to enjoy watching um, 
the memory uh, usage on his PC go into swap memory whenever uh, the page tried to load on his on his computer. I think he got a new computer recently, and it's like, damn it, you know, there's way too much memory on this thing. Now I can't watch it uh, do this because what happens is Chrome will chew up so much of the existing memory because it's a very memory intensive application to begin with that it will then that the computer will then have to st start consuming swap space meaning it'll have to start um, sending data to the hard disk itself in order to just keep running and and keep uh, keep keep afloat and uh, that is uh, both tragic and hilarious if you know anything about computing so um, the fact that my posts were amusing in that respect has always been gratifying to me now, um, I also have a couple of shout-outs to send to uh, a couple of, of brothers who are out there. Uh, my friend and brother in Christ, Adam Piggott, uh, just got back from Saudi Arabia, of all places. And check out his post. I've got it linked in the description box um, in, in Podbean and uh, also on my blog. And it's well worth reading. It's, uh, it's, it's really fascinating to read. I mean, um, everything I know about Saudi uh, Arabia is um, is is through fairly Western eyes. I mean, I do keep up with a couple of Saudi ex-Muslims who are um, thankfully converted to who have you know converts to Jesus Christ and uh, have bent the knee and bowed the head, and they are really good, really faithful brothers in Christ. Um, but they uh, they are very Westernized, and they talk about the the, the way things are back in Saudi. Um, in a very different way. So, if you're a Westerner, if you're a Christian, you, you tend to think of Saudi Arabia in terms of the uh, the Hajj and the the weirdness of the Hajj. And it is a weird um, pilgrimage. I mean, uh, of course, Muslims would think the same of our pilgrimages to um, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem and the fact that we walk the Via Dolorosa, which I did, by the way. Uh, I wasn't a Christian at the time, but I uh, have gone to Jerusalem. I have seen the Via Dolorosa, um, not the bits that are off limits, but I've walked it. So um, it, to them, it seems equally weird. And remember that what we consider to be the Via Dolorosa is not necessarily what actually happened 2,000 years ago. Um, the Empress Helena, uh, the mother of Constantine, went to Holy Land and retraced the steps of what she thought was um, the, the, what she thought was, what she thought happened back then. And that is what we have today as, uh, the pilgrimage of, that, that many of us take to, you know, the, the places on the River Jordan, um, the Sea of Galilee, uh, and, uh, farther down south, uh, you know, into the wilderness and then back up north into Jerusalem itself. So all of this is uh, is hypothetical, but it seems to be fairly well grounded in history. So you know, um, but I mean, when I say that they have weird customs, I, I do mean they are weird um, because their entire the, the entire Saudi uh, or the entire Muslim, I should say, tradition of the Hajj is actually rooted in pagan customs, and that's not an exaggeration. That's not a lie. Um, the Hajj, as we understand it today, actually has its roots in a Nabataean Arabic tradition, 
uh, a pagan Arabic tradition dating back centuries before Islam even existed. Uh, and it has been appropriated by Islam, uh, but actually not by Islam, but by the original rulers and uh, caliphs or caliphs of the region uh, and turned into the grounding and ritual for their religion. So if that's all you know about Saudi Arabia, then, you know, uh, Adam's article is a very pleasant um, update or insight into their culture. It's fascinating. Uh, it's well worth reading. So definitely take a look at that. And uh, my other friend and uh, brother in Christ, uh, Lars Redoubt, who's over in uh, the U.S. in one of the southern states, I'm not going to say which one, um, has been on a real tear of late. I mean, he's been, he, he's, he's not like me. He doesn't post every day or he doesn't try to post every day. He's busy. I mean, you know, he's busy with a lot of stuff. Um, but he tries hard to write good quality stuff when he does write. And uh, he, of late, has really been taking on this question of do we even belong together as a, as a nation? I mean, he's talking about his country. Uh, I'm very obviously not American. But he's talking about whether or not America even can coexist anymore. The two halves of America can even coexist. And whether or not Americans should accept the blatant theft of their election. And his answers are fascinating. So if you've got a chance, um, definitely go check out his site. Uh, he is the reason why my articles are now appearing on menofthewest.net. Um, he recommended me to the editor, Theophrastus, and uh, we managed to work something out, which was actually very easy because Theophrastus was like, hey, do you, you know, can we showcase some of your articles? I'm like, of course, no problem. Um, so many of my self-improvement-focused articles are going to go up on um, Men of the West. You can read them there, and uh, I hope if you come to my site from Men of the West, I hope you have found it useful and enjoyable. Um, now, on to the, you know, that, that serves as something of a segue onto this week's theme. Uh, the title of this week's podcast is Operation Mindcrime. Now, for those of you who are heavy metal fanatics like me, you know what, where this comes from. This is the title of one of the best concept albums ever written. It is Queensryche, Queensryche, or Queensryche, uh, Queensryche's um, masterpiece, Operation Mindcrime. And uh, if you go look it up, I think it was released in 1985, I think. Um, let me go check that out, actually. Operation Mindcrime is uh, 1988, actually. So I wasn't too far off. But uh, it's absolutely fascinating because if you listen to the, the lyrics of Operation Mindcrime, particularly the first four or five tracks, you would swear that Jeff Tate was... Ref was was writing about what's going on today. I mean, he wrote um, Operation Mindcrime as kind of a reaction to the uh, excesses of the 1980s, um, the perceived excesses. As it turns out, they weren't that excessive compared to what we're dealing with today. But he believed at the time that money and power had gotten too closely linked and that the the rich, as, as he says, I mean, in, in his lyrics, um, in uh, uh, Speak, one of the tracks, uh, the, in, in the first, one of the first four tracks, you know, Speak is a great song, and it, the lyric basically goes, uh, seven years of power, 
uh, corporations grow, the rich control, the media, the government, the law. Um, let's shift the power balance uh, and, you know, something and then um, educate the masses. We'll burn the White House down. Speak to me. You know, that that's that's the level of and, and ferocity of the lyrics. And it's a phenomenal album. I mean, I was listening to it just the other day uh, when I was driving back from the gym. And I listen to it on occasion. You know, it it really gets bogged down um, around about after track number five, which is the best one, uh, spreading the disease. Um, but once you get past that track, it kind of it's it's not that good. Um, but the basic sentiment behind it is that everything you are told is a lie, and when it comes to what we're seeing from the mainstream media today, I think the lyrics from Operation Mindcrime are some of the most timely and prophetic that we have ever seen, ever, um, in terms of explaining how... Whoa, that's, what the hell's going on out there? There's a massive light show going on outside my window right now. I don't know why. Um, some must be some celebration you know, far away in the, in the town. But anyway, as I was saying, um, the, the lyrics talk about how the media and the government are working together to control your mind and uh, agents of agents of deception are working to subvert the existing order and destroy it and take over people's minds and make them behave in terrible ways that they don't even understand how they're being manipulated and controlled and if you look at what the press is doing today, there is no doubt that we are being controlled, actively suppressed, actively deceived. Um, I have made no secret of my utter hatred and contempt of the mainstream media. And of late, I mean, it's gotten really, uh, I've, I've gotten really angry with them, and rightly so. Um, I used to kind of joke about um, wearing a t-shirt that said, that says, and I still have it by the way, wearing a t-shirt that says on the back, you know, rope tree journalist, some assembly required. Um, I don't joke about it anymore. I am now openly saying to people, you know, most journalists are traitors and deserve to be tried by military tribunals with their sentences to, you know, to... Um, tried by military tribunals for treason, and their sentences should be carried out on the spot. Now, you know what the sentence for treason is, right? If you're found guilty of treason, you know what the sentence is. That's how low my opinion is of most journalists. That's um, p Journalists are losing their jobs by the score um, in across the, the media landscape. Uh, you wouldn't know it by if you read the news, but actually media, big media in the U.S. is facing a massive crisis. Uh, newspapers have been shutting down for uh, years now. I mean, they've been losing money hand over fist. They can't figure out how to make any money. The dead tree press is literally dying. But it's not just the dead tree press. It's also um, cable news media like CNN, uh, the Clown News Network. Um, it's the big three, or the former big three, you know. Uh, always broadcasting commies, um, nothing but commies, uh, MSHIV, um, uh, communist broadcasting systems. 
uh, Clown News Network, National Palestinian Radio, um, you know, what, what is it, uh, public bullshit, um, uh, public, yeah, well, basically public bullshit, uh, is PBS, uh, the New York effing slimes, the Washington Compost, uh, the Los Angeles slimes, all of these, uh, big media institutions, which are genuinely corrupt and genuinely evil in a way that I have never seen before. Now, the thing is, corrupt and uh, blatantly biased media coverage is nothing new. This is not surprising. This is, when it comes to media and propaganda, you know, strategists and tacticians have understood for thousands of years that one of the most effective ways to demoralize your enemy is through media. Um, that is why uh, Tokyo Rose uh, broadcast, as she did, uh, to demoralize soldiers. It was a Japanese. It was an imperial Japanese ploy to demoralize Western soldiers, tell them that you know the war is hopeless, you can't win. Um, that is why Hanoi Jane, when uh, was so was such a big deal back in the the 1960s, when Jane Fonda. Uh, went over to Vietnam and posed smiling with, uh, with the NVA and Viet Cong. Um, that had a very powerful impact upon the psychology of people back home. Uh, a lot of people absolutely hated her for it, but she was effective in her own way at getting attention and drawing attention to the war and demoralizing the American people. Um, you know, most people don't realize that how many battles America actually won in the Vietnam War. America was in the very odd position of winning most of the pitched battles that it fought against the Viet Cong and against the NVA. Um, the Tet Offensive, for instance, uh, actually pretty much broke the back of the Viet Cong in South Vietnam. After the Tet Offensive, the Viet Cong was so thoroughly destroyed that they could no longer uh, serve as an effective fighting force. The NVA had to take over most of their military duties in the South. It was a strategic, massive victory for the United States. But, or actually, no, that's not true. It was a tactical massive victory for the USA. It was a massive strategic defeat because of the perception back home, thanks to, let's say, Walter Cronkite, who, by the way, Go look up Walter Cronkite's views on politics. Walter Cronkite was a strong advocate of globalist government. He was a strong believer in a one-world government. That should tell you everything you need to know about where that guy stood in terms of his media reporting. Do not for one moment ever think that media types don't have an agenda. They absolutely do. They always have had. Um... Yellow media or yellow journalism is nothing new. William Randolph Hearst uh, is famously credited with saying, uh, uh, you supply the, uh, something like, uh, you know what, I'm, I want to get this uh, exactly right. Uh, William Randolph Hearst, Randolph Hearst quotes. Uh, he used to say something like, um, you, f you finish the pictures and I'll finish the war. That's it. Uh, he was kind of one of the foremost proponents of yellow journalism. Uh, Hunter S. Thompson, uh, one of the top gonzo, like he basically invented the entire field of gonzo journalism. So 
this idea that journalists are active participants in their own stories is nothing new. Um, even back about a hundred years ago, the Republicans and the Democrats had their own um, newspapers, and there used to be a like a, a newspaper, the local newspaper that was called the I don't know the the Star Democrat or the Town Republican or something like that. I mean, you know, you can you can go find these things out if you want, but um, they would paint just vicious attacks against their political opponents. But that was fine. It was like, okay, you know their political ideology, you know their slant. It's fine. Like you can, if you can live with that. But over the last uh, 50, 60 years or so, media organizations have begun cloaking themselves in this sheep's disguise of impartiality. Somehow impartiality is, is a great objective to seek out and adopt. Why? Uh, I mean, why should media organizations be impartial? Um, that rationale is never quite explained. But, be that as it may, most global media organizations, at least in the, the ones that are based in America and the West, uh, in Western Europe, try, at some level, to be impartial. Now, it's a complete pretense. It's complete nonsense. Anybody with brains enough to count time to music can understand that it's a pretense. If you believe that the Bolshevik Broadcasting Corporation is impartial, you have been lobotomized. Um, there is something fundamentally wrong with your ability to comprehend facts. Uh, and there's nothing I can do to help you. You're just, I'm sorry to say this, but you're literally too stupid to function if you honestly believe that something like the BBC or CNN or uh, any of these other left-wing dominated news channels is impartial. They are not impartial and they have never been impartial. Um, but they like to project themselves as impartial. Now, why do I say that these people are traitors? Well, it's because they are traitors. These people are basically... Uh, lining up against their own people, against their own nations, uh, not the government. You know, there's nothing wrong with media sledging the government and, and engaging in slagging matches with them. That's fine. That's what they're there for. Um, but they are lining up against their own people, and increasingly now, they're lining up with the government against the people. That's what's terrifying. Uh, if you look at, uh, I'll give you a couple of simple examples. If you look at the coverage of Brexit in the UK back in 2016, the coverage from the media, particularly the BBC, was almost uniformly negative. Brexit is going to crash the economy. Brexit is going to destroy our country. Brexit is, Brexiteers are small-minded racist bigots who don't want hordes of immigrants to come in and change the face of their country. I mean, well, you know, People who are looking at it from the outside, like me, you know, people who have actually lived in the UK and understand the British people, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting out looking at uh, Brexit going, that sounds like a really good idea. Gee, I mean, why wouldn't you want a country that is predominantly white and Christian to remain white and Christian? Because that's how you get high-functioning civilization. Um, that's what the UK used to be. It's not anymore, but it used to be like that. Uh, but... You know, I, I like I never had any problem with the Brits taking control of their own immigration system, primarily because here in the country of my origin, uh, 
they're very clear about who can and cannot come into this country. Uh, there is a 236,000 strong border patrol force that has orders to shoot to kill smugglers who come in across the Bangladeshi border. Um, so when people tell me that, uh, you know, nations uh, like the UK, France, Germany, the US, whatever, have no right to exclude people from coming in, I'm like, what are you talking about? Your own countries are like that. They have those laws themselves. Somehow only white people are supposed to bring everybody else in and uh, everyone else can, you know, tell everybody else to F off? Like, really? How does this work? Um, it doesn't make any sense. But if you look at the media coverage of Brexit, both before and after the vote, the coverage before the vote was sneering and parochial and uh, contemptuous of the ordinary man. And after the vote, after a lot of uh, Labour voters actually gave the government the middle finger and gave their own party the middle finger and said, we want our sovereignty back. The the media headlines the next day were like, what the hell happened? Why didn't the rubes vote the way we told them to vote? They couldn't believe it. The, the media absolutely imploded with outrage. I mean, I remember waking up the next day. I was in the States at the time and I uh, was on the road with my family. And I remember waking up and reading the headlines going, yes, you know, I was really happy. And the, the news headlines were blaring across all the business networks and everybody was like, we have no idea what's going to happen. It's so scary. I mean, we think that this is going to destroy the British economy. And it's like, in, in the meantime, the British economy, for a variety of reasons in the last four years, has outperformed much of the rest, much of, the rest of Europe. Um, that's not true anymore. Uh, the, the British response to the Kung flu has been appallingly stupid. But um, at the time, at least, the Brits were doing fine. Uh, so that's Brexit taken care of. What about, you know, Trump? Uh, when his most illustrious, noble, august, benevolent, and legendary celestial majesty, the God Emperor of Mankind, Donaldus Triumphus Magnus Astra, the first of his name, the Lion of Midnight, the Chaddest of Chads, May the Lord bless him and preserve him. Descended down that golden escalator in Trump Tower um, in 2015 and announced that he was running for president. I mean, the media just exploded into laughter. They were like, this is a joke. This guy is a joke. He will never win. He's never going to win. Um, and then slowly, slowly, they began to realize, uh-oh, this guy's got some legs. Uh, he's actually doing well. And they tried very hard to paint him as this uh, misogynistic, bigot, this, this bumbling buffoon, this oaf, this, 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 uh, this dinosaur who had just an orange face and a ridiculous hairdo and a vocabulary of about a thousand words, most of them superlatives, uh, couldn't string together a sentence, and never read any books, you know, was completely uneducated on matters of foreign policy or diplomacy or what have you. Um, they tried to paint him as a complete bumbling buffoon, and they failed. Uh, every time they tried to bury him with a negative story, he just came back stronger than ever. I mean, the, the whole, um, uh, you can just grab him by the pussy tape. Uh, that was a trap if you ever heard one. If, there, was, there was no question that was a media-derived, media-devised trap. If you actually look at what Trump said and, you know, put your, um, put your indignation, moral indignation, and uh, shock and horror and feigned outrage to one side, and actually look at what the man said, 
he put it very crudely, but he's not wrong. Um, it's just a fact. I mean, I don't care if you get pissed off at me for saying that, but it's true. Uh, what he said, factually speaking, once you put the crudity aside, was true. When he won in 2016 against the media's anointed candidate, where, you know, the, the media has gone on record, people from the media have gone on record admitting this. There is an old, old, old interview. Um, well, okay, it's not that old. It's about 16 years old, which is pretty old. Uh, of, I forget exactly who, um, but this journalist went on the Charlie Rose show and he basically admitted to Charlie Rose that because of the press, John Kerry had probably a 10 to 15 point uh, headwind, uh, like, sorry, lead in the polls just because the media were covering up and covering for him. Now, I have a, something of a personal connection to John Kerry. I don't know the man personally. I don't. Um, I knew his sister back in the day, uh, way, way, way back when. And I'm not going to say who she is. I'm not going to say when. I'm not going to say where. I'm not going to say how. But I, uh, I met his sister, and I was very young at the time, and she was, you know, middle-aged woman. Uh, so I was exposed to that family's mannerisms and ways of doing things. Let's just say I wasn't impressed. And that impre- that lack of, shall we say, uh, favorable opinion has persisted to this day. Every, when I listen to John Kerry speak, it's like listening to his sister speak. It's very obviously clear family resemblance. And um, all I can say is that if you look at John Kerry's sonorous and ponderous approach to doing things and his long-winded rambling and his, his plain lack of understanding of uh, basic ethics and integrity on a world stage, I'm not at all surprised that he was such a complete disaster as uh, Secretary of State and uh, in all of his other various capacities within the Obama administration. It's not surprising. He was a disaster. Uh, Let me just check if he was Secretary of State. I believe he was. Uh, I seem to remember that he was... um, Yeah, he was. Secretary of State, I was right. 2013 to 2017. And, you know, completely useless. Um... That was the guy who ran for president back in 2004, and he was hopeless as a candidate, but he had a 15-point headwind just because the media hated George W. Bush. Now, looking back at George W. Bush, I didn't like him um, that much. I respected him at the time, but time in the time that has elapsed since then, my opinion of him has soured considerably. And... Looking back at George W. Bush, I am now convinced that he was representative of a late-stage kind of um, one of the, like, the the best analogy I can think of is the crisis of the second century in Rome. Uh, One after another, weak emperor or uh, just incompetent emperor would take over and be replaced by another one. George W. Bush represented kind of the beginning of that phase of weakness and um, and frivolity that destroyed the empire. 
and it took someone on the order of uh, Diocletian to come along and fix all of the problems. That is kind of similar to the problem. Like there, there are echoes of that with Trump now. There are also echoes with um, with Rome kind of overextending itself back before Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon. Um, you see the same thing with George W. Bush. He was, in many ways, a uh, a continuation of that trend that existed you know, back from back in the days of crisis when the republic became the empire. Now, the media hated George W. Bush so much that they really suffered from Bush derangement syndrome. Uh, they were constantly calling him Bush Hitler and uh, comparing him with Nazis and uh, just trying to run him down at every possible opportunity. They were accusing him of violating civil liberties and, and shredding the Constitution, which actually is true. I mean, I have to I have to give them credit for that. But for all their wild-eyed accusations, they couldn't stop him from winning a second term. Uh, and their attacks simply got more crazy and more unhinged by the day after that. They could not contain their glee when Mitt Romney made his 47% comment in 2012, and it was plastered all over the airwaves, and Mitt Romney was a disastrous candidate. No question about that. He would have made a disaster of a president. They couldn't stop uh, mocking John McCain um, for his age and his weakness uh, back in 2008. They, I mean, they had a field day making fun of Sarah Palin, um, who was like the start of the populist movement. Uh, she was, that, that, the, the speech that she gave at the RNC was a barn burner. Um, she absolutely electrified everybody there, and it's not hard to see why. You, you didn't watch the speech. It's incredible. The media malfeasance, the level of malfeasance and corruption that has taken place since then is unbelievable. And if you look at the way that they have treated Donald Trump, look at what has happened in the days since he won the election. Every single moment, every single opportunity they have tried to bring up uh, blatantly false information and, and presented as fact, like the Steele dossier, that was ridiculous, but it was presented as though it was fact. Uh, endless speculation about Russian collusion, no, that no evidence whatsoever of that ever happening. Uh, endless replay of uh, supposedly shady business deals, which turned out to be nothing. You know, like Trump has a bank account in China. You know, he's he's the most corrupt and evil politician ever. Well, no, he has. Yeah, he had a bank account in China because his business was was trying to do deals in China, and he closed it down before he became president. So, you know, where does this make any sense? Uh, Trump's tax returns are showing that he's hiding. You know. Uh, uh, he's, he's, he's ripping off the American taxpayer. Well, no, he's not. He's actually using perfectly legal loopholes not to pay taxes. And by the way, that's fine. Why would you want to pay taxes to the government? Like, seriously, how, how dumb do you have to be not to understand that taxation is theft at gunpoint? Like, I, I can't explain it any more simply than that. Taxation is just something you have to do because your government takes your money from you. It's not something that you want to do. And if you can reduce your tax burden legally, why wouldn't you do that? That's, that's your money. Why wouldn't you take it back? Um, this whole issue of, of collusion with Ukraine, it was complete nonsense from the beginning, and everybody knew it. 
everybody knew it. You could get, um, you know, with the whole Russian collusion issue, for instance, there is the Project Veritas captured CNN's commentator Van Jones literally on a hot mic commenting, oh, it's nothing burger. I mean, we know it's nothing burger. There's, there's nothing to this story. They knew there was nothing to it, and they ran with it anyway. Why? Because they hate Trump, and they hate the people that he represents. Now you look at the election, and you look at what's happening with the blatant and epic voter fraud that has completely corrupted the outcome of a democratic election. Um, the media is covering up to a degree that I honestly find unbelievable. And I have lived in some of the most authoritarian countries in the world uh, throughout my life. I've seen what it's like where the media is controlled by the government. This is much worse. At no point during all of my time in Russia have I ever seen a media this concerted and this united in their attacks upon ordinary people. If you look at Trump's claims about the election, if you look at what the God Emperor is saying, he's absolutely right. There's no question he was winning massively um, up until about, you know, midnight that night. And then all of a sudden, they stopped counting the votes in multiple states. And there were huge spikes in votes, which was statistically impossible. Um, in Michigan, in Wisconsin, in Pennsylvania, in Georgia, in Arizona, multiple instances of statistically impossible mathematically impossible uh, vote counts started coming in. There's one instance in Pennsylvania, I believe it was, um, if I got the article right, where uh, 137,000 odd votes came in, mail-in ballots, and all 137,000 of them were for Biden. Now, think about this for a moment. If you have a coin, Heads and tails, uh, head and a tail side, right? Flip it 137,000 times. Do you know what the probability is of getting 137,000 heads in a row? It's so ridiculously small. It's literally 2 to the minus 137,000. It's such an absurdly tiny number that you can't really calculate it. It's so small and so pointless that it's beyond the level, pretty much, of where things become meaningless, effectively. Uh, there's a, in physics, I believe it's called uh, um, Avogadro's limit, I think. Um, don't quote me on this, because, I mean, my knowledge of physics these days is terrible. But um, there's a specific limit where anything smaller than that limit in size is meaningless. It's impossible to do anything useful with it. That's the probability that Biden won all those votes. It's nonsense. It's utter nonsense. That's before you get to sworn affidavit sealed statements, you know, statements sworn under oath, meaning that if they lie, they go to jail, of people saying, we saw this, we saw irregularities, we saw people sneaking in ballots, we saw people uh, we saw uh, Republican observers being chased away. We saw uh, jiggery-pokery with the voting machines. We saw ballots being double-counted. We saw ballots being 
uh, altered on the fly. We saw this. Uh, we saw we saw all of these uh, huge discrepancies in in the voting process. This is sworn testimony, and it's completely admissible in court. Now look at what the media did before the uh, right before the um, the discrepancy started emerging, and look at what they're doing now. Back when Trump started saying, "I won the vote," "I won the election," "I am," you know, "I am the winner," they were sa- they were making fun of him. They they were saying, "This guy's completely lost his mind. He's insane. Um, he just can't admit that he's lost because there is absolutely no evidence whatsoever of voter fraud." Then the evidence started coming out, and the media started saying, "Oh, there's no widespread evidence of voter fraud." And look at what they said: no evidence, no widespread evidence. Oh, okay, okay, all right, no widespread evidence. Then more information started leaking out, and public hearings started to be held, and, and people could hear the statistic insanity of what was going on, the statistical impossibility of this stuff. There's a, you can go look up video of uh, the, the, the procedures in Pennsylvania, the public hearings. People started laughing when they were hearing Rudy Giuliani talking about how uh, 600,000 votes came in, and almost all of them were for Biden. It was like, they started laughing, not because they were laughing at Giuliani. They were laughing in disbelief that this could take place. They were laughing at, in, in shock, in, in just like horror at the fact that the voting process had been so thoroughly corrupted. And the media were like, no, 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 there's no, there's no proof of widespread voter fraud. Well, what do you want in terms of proof? You want somebody to literally wave, you know, to the camera and say, hey, I did it. I rigged the Dominion voting machine. I, Program the software so that um, it would switch all these votes to, to Biden. I mean, we actually have a case in one county in Michigan where 6,300-odd votes um, went were incorrectly tabulated for Biden. It's, it's actual voting uh, discrepancy. And if you switch them to Trump, suddenly Biden's lead in Michigan goes to 1,503 votes. And that's before recounts. That's in one county using Dominion voting machines with, uh, uh, what was it called? Um, crap, I've forgotten the, uh, the name of the software company. But uh, that is one county using one set of voting machines where the founders of the company have been linked to um, the Venezuelan government and to uh, other foreign actors where we know that these people are in the business of rigging elections. We know this. We know that this same company, which is managed through multiple shell corporations, is responsible for rigging elections. This is not news. This is fact. You can go look it up for yourself. It's not hard to find. There's an America Uncovered um, episode which deals with this exact issue, and uh, there are multiple uh, videos on YouTube which look at this problem. And yet, the media are still saying there's no proof. So that suddenly they've gone from absolutely no evidence to no widespread evidence to, well, maybe there's some evidence, but there's no proof whatsoever, to this is a conspiracy theory, nobody has any proof, to even if there's proof, it doesn't matter. That's the point where we're at right now. And people wonder why guys like me are basically saying, let's restart Air Pinochet. Uh, those who don't know the reference, uh, Pinochet Airways refers to the fact that uh, General Augusto Pinochet of uh, Chile uh, was famous for executing his his political opponents by taking them on one-way helicopter rides. Um, they would go up, and then they'd come down at about thirteen hundred feet 
um, 1300, uh, well, whatever the terminal velocity is. Um, I don't know if it's per second, but um, it's pretty bloody fast. Uh, by the way, if you hit the ground from about a quarter of a mile up, the impact is astonishing. Um, it's such a powerful impact that bone simply turns to powder. Uh, a bit higher up than that, and bone kind of liquefies. It just, there's, you know, uh, there's, there's nothing to take fingerprints from, even. They, they have to pump fluid into your fingers to, to figure out who you are. Um, dental records become useless because every single bone in your body is pulverized. Uh, it's a horrifying way to die, but it's also very quick. So, now you wonder why people like me are basically calling for journalists to, you know, be dealt with summarily. Why are we saying that? I mean, I know that there are journalists losing their jobs, they're getting laid off, getting fired, because their media organizations aren't making any money. I have been through three layoffs and one uh, voluntary separation. Every single job I've ever had has failed to work out. I have been through more tr employment-related trauma in 15 years than most people have, will have endured in multiple lifetimes. I bear those scars with me today, and I bear enormous sympathy for people who go through layoffs and redundancies. I know what it's like. I know how painful it is. When I say that I have absolutely zero sympathy whatsoever for a journalist who loses his job right now, I want you to understand my full meaning. That's how little I think of these people. That's how much I hate them. And because that's, that's how much they hate people like me. That's how much these people have destroyed their right to be uh, respected, and their right to be taken seriously. Because everything that they've published, everything they're saying right now is poison. Uh, the few journalistic outlets that try to do a good job are being actively suppressed and censored by big tech. And big tech is no better than any of the journalists, by the way. If you look at Google uh, or Facebook or Twitter, these people are just as bad. They're just as evil. They're actually worse in a lot of ways. Um, Google likes to, has, has this motto, you know, don't be evil. Um, or they used to have that motto. They got rid of it. And it's very telling that they got rid of it. But Google used to say to its employees, they used to have this big banner up, you know, saying, don't be evil. Well, a lot of people said, oh, that's wonderful. I mean, what a great company trying to do good and, 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 uh, be responsible and be socially conscious and all that. No, guys, look at it from a Christian perspective. A company that has to tell its people not to be evil, is evil. Good people don't need to be reminded not to be evil. It's really simple. A company that reminds its people not to be evil is evil. If you look at Facebook, and you look at how they responded to the New York Post story about um, Hunter Biden uh, and his laptop and uh, all the documents that were found there, the response from big tech was just to censor everything. It was just to shut discussion down, shut down debate. Uh, the same thing with the Kung Flu. I mean, anytime anybody tried to uh, ask whether the Kung Flu was man-made, whether it was released from a virus, uh, virology research lab in Wuhan in China, 
whether the the sequence, the genetic sequence of the virus was altered and man-made. Uh, they got shut down. They got shut down hard. I mean, YouTube just stomped on it. Anytime anybody tried to question the prevailing wisdom and narrative that you must wear a mask, that you must uh, socially distance, that uh, you know this is a terrible and deadly disease, anytime anybody tries to question that, they get stomped, they get shut down. Anytime anybody tries to point out that Islam is not a religion of peace, that it's incredibly violent, that it's incredibly brutal, they get demonetized right away on YouTube. YouTube just refuses to show their ads. But Muslims on YouTube can go around uh, calling for violence and retribution upon uh, Christians. They can go around making the most disgusting slurs about Christians and their wives. They can go around saying that, you know, apostates should be murdered and executed, and they're proud of that. I mean, just go look up uh, some of Ali Dawa's videos online. He's saying this. He's, he's saying, we're proud of this. We're proud of the fact that uh, under Sharia law, we would execute apostates. And it wouldn't be us, you know, it wouldn't be ordinary people doing the executions. It would be the government, government, government policy to go in and, uh, and, and kill apostates. Um, okay. Uh, you can go and find videos of Dr. Sheikh Yasser Qadi, uh, basically talking about how Christians and Jews, especially, you know, Christians are considered polytheists. They're, they're considered mushrikun. Uh, polytheists and polytheists are uh, n uh, nudges. They are dirty. They are filthy. They are disgusting. That's what he's saying. It's not me saying this. It's, that's those are his words. You can go online and find this stuff on YouTube. These guys have followings in the hundreds of thousands. They are not censored. They are not suppressed. They are not told that uh, what they're doing is wrong. They are not told that incite that they they are inciting people to violence or using hate speech. Meanwhile, people like Dr. J. Smith or Dr. David Wood or Dr. Daniel Brubaker, uh, who are really accomplished scholars and really accomplished uh, researchers and extraordinary apologists and polemicists for Christianity, are online rebutting Islamic arguments and destroying the foundations of Islam, not out of hatred, but out of love for Muslims, wanting them to come back to the truth wanting them to embrace Jesus Christ, our Lord and King. These people are censored and demonetized and shut down. They have their videos taken down. They have copyright strikes against them. Uh, they get locked out of their YouTube accounts or their Twitter accounts or their Facebook accounts. They get kicked off social media. They get uh, censored and they, they, they get their livelihoods taken away from them. I mean, these guys, they're missionaries, so they don't depend on these platforms for their income, but other people do. The thing to understand is... All of this, all of it, whether it's the media, whether it's big tech, all of this is a concerted effort to brainwash you. And that's what I want to talk about for the last 10 minutes or so, eight minutes of this podcast, because I've gone through a whole list of, you know, ranting of examples and, and, uh, and, 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 um, kind of explanations and invective. Uh, frankly, about what's going on. Now I want to explain to you why it's happening. See, the thing to understand is, once you start looking at things through a spiritual lens, you'll quickly realize that we are not, as as the Bible says in Romans, um, in, in the book of, in, in uh, the letter of Paul to the Romans, 
Um, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle with spirits. What you are seeing is a very clear concerted push by the adversary to demoralize us. And the greatest arm for demoralization that he has is the mass media. Now, the mass media is a good thing if it's used correctly, if it's used to spread truth, if it's used to expose lies. But that's not what the mass media are doing anymore. That's not what the BBC are doing. That's not what Skynet in, uh, in the UK or uh, Channel Fake uh, or Fox News, uh, F-A-U-X, faux news, as, as I call them uh, now, are doing. That's not what MSHIV are doing. That's not what always broadcasting commies or nothing but commies or communist bullshit or uh, propagandist bullshit or uh, clown news network or any of these other lousy poxy outlets are distributing. That's not what they're doing. These people are trying to demoralize you and demotivate you. They're trying to make you give up and give in. And unfortunately, they're proving to be very effective for a very large portion of the population. But here's the funny thing. They've overstepped their bounds. See, if you look at how Americans respond to propaganda, subtle propaganda works on them. It's very effective. Subtle emotional propaganda that kind of targets their heartstrings and manipulates them at an emotional level is very effective. Americans, because Americans are fundamentally good people, that's the, that's the reason why it works. Good people are particularly susceptible to emotional manipulation and lies and bullshit. The media used to be very good at digging into that and manipulating them through that, but they've overstepped their bounds. Over the top propaganda, even Americans and even Brits can spot in a heartbeat and they laugh their butts off when they see it. Americans are not like most people. Um, if you were to run the same kind of propaganda in the Middle East, it would work. If you were to run it in India, it really would work. If you were to run it in most of Africa, it would work. But in America, it doesn't. That kind of over-the-top propaganda doesn't really work. And if you think, I mean, let me try to paint this picture to my American audience. Most of you are American. If you think that Fox News is kind of crazy with all the graphics and the breaking news and other things whizzing at you all over the place, try watching an Indian news network for more than five minutes. You'll get a headache. I can't stand it. With Fox News, even people who hate um, the American right can watch Fox News and admit, you know what, they actually put both sides of the story up there. It's not just, you know, just Democrats talking at you the way it is with MSHIV or Clown News Network. It's not just Democrats uh, and Democrat talking heads and left-wing talking heads in their own echo chamber. With Fox, they do actually make an effort to present both sides of the story. And, you know, even my own family has admitted very privately, very tacitly, they won't say it to my face, but I know it uh, through other sources, where they're like you know what, I kind of see why he hates the media so much. I kind of get it now. I kind of understand why he thinks that these people are evil. Um, by the way, I don't think that it's just evil anymore. I think they deserve uh, to be tried and um, dealt with as traitors. Uh, it's like I'm not, I'm not even hiding it anymore. Uh, and I'm not the only one who feels that way. 
I mean, you, you look at some of the commentary from my blog, uh, or from my site, it's not me commenting on this stuff anymore. Many of my readers are like, yeah, to, dude, to hell with trials. Let's just skip straight to the, straight to the, uh, to the, to the, the justice part. Let's not, let's not even bother with the trials. Um, I at least still want to try them and give them a chance to get military justice. But, you know, others are just like, don't even bother with that. Let's just go straight to the, uh, the processing part. That's where we are right now. And it's not going to get any better. Operation Mindcrime is an umbrella under which all of these organizations, all of these networks, all of these people are acting as agents of the enemy to destroy your will to resist. The simplest and fastest way to resist is literally just to switch off. Don't give them access to your mind. Ignore them. That's the one thing they can't stand. The moment you don't pay any attention to them is the moment they go berserk, because then they realize that the tactics aren't working. So, switch off Fox News, except for Tucker Carlson, who I think is great, but even he has his squishy moments, and he, he squished um, a couple of weeks back, and he got hammered for it by his own fan base, and rightly so. Switch off all mainstream media. Do what I did and just disconnect from the media completely for, uh, in, in terms of giving them your money. Cut off cable. Just get rid of it. Stop watching cable. You don't need it. I mean, most of it is garbage anyway. You got a thousand channels and nothing good to watch. Like, it's a perennial problem. And by the way, if you get rid of cable, you cut off funding to CNN because that's where they get most of their money. So, you know, do these things and start unwinding away from these evil institutions that hate you. And the moment you start doing that, the moment you start reducing your dependence on these people, the happier you will become. The less they can control you, the less they can make you despair. And the moment they don't, they can't make you despair anymore is the moment you can orient yourself towards the truth. You can go find out for yourself. You can start thinking for yourself again. And once the, the, the mental cobwebs fade away and the poison is out of your system, you can start going to where the truth is. You can start asking yourself whether or not the election was rigged. You can start asking whether or not Brexiteers are racists. You can start asking whether or not the Kung Flu scamdemic is real. You may draw different conclusions from me, and that's fine. You know, that's, that's, that's good. Be independent. Read the content of people like me. Criticize it. Critique it. Peer review it. Make sure that we know that we're being held accountable for the words coming out of our mouths and out of, you know, our fingers. Make sure that we are held accountable by you. That's a good thing. But don't listen to some, you know, whiny, shrill-faced bitch in a, in a, in a power suit sitting in front, of a t in front of a camera repeating talking points assembled by a, uh, a producer who went to a school that's to the left of Lenin. Don't do that. That's ridiculous. Think for yourself and don't give these people the power anymore to decide for you. And with that, uh, it's time to end, because we're coming up on the one-hour mark, and I do like to keep these things on time. So, ignore the media, ignore their lies, they are trying to control you, and they will succeed unless you take steps to divorce yourself from them. Don't feel sorry for them when the time comes to hold them accountable for all the evil that they've committed. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. In the meantime... Uh, as always, like, share, comment, and subscribe. Make sure that you uh, are 
uh, always checking in for new posts because I, I post every day. And this has been Didactic Mind, episode 58, Operation Mind Crime. I am Didact, signing off.